With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're talking about the development of, uh, of rabbinic literature. Last week we, we started uh, touching on um, just the general structure of Mishnah and um, and Torah Torah Balpeh, including Midrash Halacha and all that. And now I wanted to to uh, look at this. Um, Side view. Okay, Avi. Yes. Now you can hear us. Okay, so oh, I wanted to. Yeah, I forgot what I wanted to do was to record, and that's what I forgot to do. Uh, okay, record onto the cloud. Okay, good. Now it's recorded, so we're starting. Um, so Avi, here's the text. Probably have it in front of you, but anyway, I'm I'm. Using a side view, so uh, we could do this. So, Tanura Banan. Uh, this is this is a, a sugya from Masechet Psahim, and but this is, this is from the Bavli. And what what we're going to do is compare the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, and from this I understand how uh, how they understood the the um, the relationship of Midrash Halacha to to Halacha itself, and also. From the comparison of the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, we learn of the, uh, or maybe things that they were trying uh, to hide or, or or to change as an agenda. So the first paragraph reads this: Tanua Banan, the sages taught, Halacha Zonit Almami Betera. This law was forgotten by the sons of Betera, which is in itself interesting because what is the law that is forgotten by the by the, those people who are the leaders the uh, halachic leaders of the generation. The 14th of Nisan once occurred on Shabbat. They forgot and did not know whether Pesach overrides Shabbat or not. So that in itself is already an amazing statement that you don't know whether you could uh, you know, slaughter the Pesach on Shabbat right. or not. Right. Um, and cook. So cook, you're right, of course, and and the whole thing, Sheda the Pesach, and you have you, if Pesach, no, if Abasa falls on Shabbat, you have to slaughter it on the 14th, and you and you roast it after sunset, mm-hmm. so it'd be okay, it'd be already Motzei Shabbat, but the mm-hmm. slaughtering will take place on the 14th, uh, but they forgot it. How can you forget hmm. such an important thing? That how many halachot did they have at the time that they didn't know what what do you do with Pesach on Shabbat? So part of it is that. At the time, they didn't have uh, the calendar was not set, was not fixed. So it could have been that thirty years passed without having Pesach on Shabbat. It's a possibility, but still, it's a little, uh, it's a little weird. So we, we had a. They didn't have a Beit Hamikdash, right? That's in the time of Beit Hamikdash. Well, that was in the time. Yeah, because they're talking about uh, practically, and the time of Hillel, Hillel was at the time of the Mikdash. So they practically want to know whether you could or c- cannot, if you can or cannot, slaughter on Shabbat. Now, um, would, would that uh, at, would that only have been done at the uh, Beit Hamikdash? Only at the Beit Hamikdash. Pesach is slaughtered only at the Beit Hamikdash. Now, the re- it's the reason for the confusion is not mentioned in the Gemara clearly, 
But to understand it, we have to, uh, we'll see later in the Midrash Halacha that they bring up, the all the all the sacrifices that are brought on Shabbat are public sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And individual sacrifices are not offered on Shabbat. Right. Pesach has a unique uh, sacrifice because on one hand it's individual, each individual brings it, or each family, mm-hmm. but it's public. The whole mm-hmm. nation mm-hmm. brings it at the same time. So it's somewhere, it's down in the twilight zone between the public and the individual. But the, the thing is that either they forgot the tradition that they had, mm-hmm. right? Or there's no established halakha, and every year they decided anew, right? They have to discuss the issue again. Maybe not every year, every mm-hmm. 30, 40 years. Um, and just to see that how, you, how we can forget stuff like that, it was funny, my brother was visiting from Israel, so my wife decided to ask him once and for all, what was my grandfather's practice regarding using electricity on Yom Tov? Because I keep telling her that he would use electricity on Yom Tov. So she asked my brother, so, you know, because he's older than me, he says, no, he didn't use it. I said, really? You remember that we, we used to go to his house, he lived with my aunt and, and, and her husband, and they would bake uh, whatever, you know, special Shavuot uh, stuff mm-hmm. on Shavuot and would eat the oh, I don't remember exactly. He says, it's because you don't want to remember. Because my brother went a little more, you know, uh, to the to the right, so now he doesn't use it. So he reworks his memory to think I we didn't do that. So Bnei Betera is the same thing. If this halacha that was problematic, this would have pushed it aside. So what happens? Ambu, klum yesh adam sheyodea in Pesach. Is there anyone here who knows whether Pesach overrides Shabbat or not? Ambu lahem. They said to them, it's like anonymous people, Adam had yesh, she'alami bavil, ve'hilela bavlishmo, she'shimesh shnei gdolei adoch sh'maya ve'avtalion, ve'yodea im pesach adohet ha'shabat im lav. They say, they, to, they, they told them, there is one man who came up from Bavil, his name is Hillel the Babylonian, he served the two eminent scholars of the generation, sh'maya and avtalion, and he knows whether Pesach overrides Shabbat or not, which is interesting. The problem with this uh, paragraph, the, the Bnei Betera, the leaders, right, ask a question. And someone says, oh, someone knows the answer. What do you mean someone knows the answer? If you know that he knows, you also know the answer, right? I mean, like, how, I mean, how about, or, or is Hillel sending maybe a message that says, tell them that I know, maybe that's the thing. I mean, the the person who says it's it's a very it's a specific question. It's not like uh, uh, who has traditions from Shmaya Naftalion. Then you can say it's Hillel. No, but we just saw like my wife's an accountant, and she has a really specific tax problem. Right. And she asks all these attorneys or tax attorneys. They didn't right. know. She asked a friend of hers, a tax attorney. He goes, I don't know, but so and so knows. He didn't know the answer. Okay. Even though he's a well-established yeah. okay. tax attorney. Okay. So the Amulaim is among the scholars. So it's not just people from the street. It's it's people among the scholars. They say we think that this 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 man knows a tradition. Okay. Um, so, but for now, at that moment, he's not is still not known. Hillel is not known to the to the uh, to the rabbis. Um, and then it says Shalhuve Karulo. So uh, they sent out and they called him. Amulo, klumata yodea ima pesach dohet a Shabbat im lav. Do you know whether pesach overrides Shabbat or not? Amar lehem, vechi pesach hachad eshanu bashana she dohet a Shabbat. Do we have one pesach which overrides Shabbat? 
עיר, והלא הרבה יותר מ-200 פסחים יש לנו בשנה שדוחים את השבת. We have many more than 200 פסח a year which override שבת. אמרו לו, מנין לך, they said, from where do you know this? Now, what, what, is, what does he refer to? He refers to all the korbanot that come on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So now, this is, this is what I mentioned before, the, the difference between the individual sacrifice mm-hmm. and the public sacrifice. He says, Pesach is a public sacrifice, and we know that every Shabbat, you bring the tamid, which are two korbanot uh, a day. Mm-hmm. You have 50 Shabbatot, it's about 100 korbanot. Then add to this the holidays that fall on Shabbat, you get mm-hmm. to about 200 uh, 200 sacrifices. But so they ask Minayin Lecha. But the Minayin Lecha, the question is, not how do you know that we bring those two, because they know that as well. What they're asking is about the equation. How do you know that they're comparable? That the Korban that we bring on Shabbat is like Korban Pesach. Amar Laim, so he said this, Neamar Mo'ado Bepesach, Veneamar Mo'ado Betamid. He said to them, Mo'ado, which means at its appointed time, right, the Mo'ed is a set or appointed time, is said about Pesach, and the Mo'ado is said about the daily offering. Ma Mo'ado ha'amur betamid duhayet ha-Shabbat, af Mo'ado ha'amur bepesach duhayet ha-Shabbat, it says, just as Mo'ado of the daily offering overrides Shabbat, so too Mo'ado of Pesach overrides Shabbat. So he, he goes with, a, uh, with what we call a hekesh, a logical comparison that 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 or gzera sorry that's a gzera shava gzera shava it doesn't it has nothing to do with the word decree mm-hmm. but rather from the word gazar which is to cut so like we cut two things by the same the same measure say i have one set of laws here one set of laws here mm-hmm. one has all the details one is missing a detail so i'll take uh i'm i'm um i'm saying if these are the laws of the... Sorry, and it's based on the word. It has to be a word that, that appears in both places. Mm-hmm. So in both places, the word bemu'ado. You must bring the korban at its set time. So he says, just as with the daily sacrifice, set time means on Shabbat, obviously, because you have to bring it every day. Mm-hmm. So Pesach also, if it says mu'ado, it is set time, which is on the 14th of Nisan. Mm-hmm. So it seems so easy that you, you think, why didn't they think of it, right? And that goes back to your question. Is it in fact a public uh, sacrifice? Right. So he's arguing that it is because of the word bemuado. If it has a set time, that in itself shows that it's not a random because all the all the all the uh, individuals, are individuals are not set in time. Okay. They are tied to an event. If someone sinned or someone, you know, a woman had a had a baby. Right. Uh, or someone wants to show gratitude, so they're all tied to a certain event, they don't depend on time. <clears throat> and even the Korban Hagiga, that people bring as they come to Yerushalayim, they can bring it in any day of the holiday, not specifically. Right. Okay. So that's, that's his argument, but it's based on the word, it's not just logical assumption, it's based on the word. Ve'od kalvahomehu, it says, and furthermore, furthermore, it's an a fortiori, right? How is it a kalvahomer? Meaning, if the daily offering, which is not punishable by karet, overrides Shabbat, Pesach, which is punishable by karet, of course, should override Shabbat. So, we say, if, if uh, 
the Pesach has a higher status of of uh, uh, of the daily offering, because if you don't bring the daily offering, you're not punishable. But if you don't bring Pesach, you are punishable. So obviously, the the that should uh, apply to this as well. Miyad hoshivu barosh, and the word miyad is important. Miyad here. I used the translation that I was on Safari, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I cleaned. I, I cleaned out all the additions. I I wanted to keep it just to the translation of the right. text because the additions are in itself. They're not just translation. There's a lot of interpretation there, um, and not always necessarily correct. So the miyad uh, could be immediately, but also as a direct consequence. The miyad in in rabbinic literature mm-hmm. can also mean as a, which sometimes is also miyad in time. Mm-hmm. But miyad meaning uh, uh, as a result, hoshivu barosh uminu nasi alim. They seated him at the head and appointed him nasi over them. So, in other words, they they seated right. They, the, this is the, the concession, right? They say, oh, "You are not worthy of being the nasiim. You should be the nasi." And he was doresh the laws of Passover that entire day. So I, I left the word doresh in Hebrew. Because we we spoke last week about the, the drash right. as to seek out the meaning of the of of the text, so it's interpreting the 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 pasuk and how with, uh, so it will apply to halacha, yeah. Okay. And we're talking about Hillel the, from Babylonia, right? So now we say it hilme kanteran bidvarim. So it, he started to tease them, which is uh, it's odd, right? Because Hillel is this. Very calm, very humble person, right? And and we don't attribute to him such. Is this the same Hillel? Same Hillel. But I didn't know it's from Babylonia. I thought it was from. I thought he lived in Israel. No, it was from Babylonia. came from so Babylonia. Shemayin, really? Absalom, this was from the first diaspora. Yes. No, Shemayim are are t- towards the end of the second temple. But it says here. Hello, the Babylonian who served the two eminent scholars of the generation, Shemai and Aftalad. Yeah, they were his teachers. So he came from Babylonia, and he studied under Shemai and Aftalion, who lived in Israel. So yeah, he was an exchange student, in other words. Interesting. Oh, Shemai and Aftalad would not... Oh, they weren't in Babylonia. They were in Israel. They were in Israel. And, they were in Israel. And, and this is the Hillel and Shemai that we always yes. talk about. Yeah, always Hillel as a can, that right. loves everyone, right. and, is, and, was, and it, so it's really strange that he's, uh, uh, he's teasing them. Amar lehem, mi garam lachem she'e'alem yibavel ve'yen nasi'a lechem. What caused you that I should come up from Babylonia and become nasi over you? Avi, feel free to, to jump in whenever... So my my question is, how come we, I've never heard of these two teachers of Hillel? Oh, they're famous. Uh, oh. I think it's even in Pirkei Avot. So they're mentioned only in Pirkei Avot. Um, as they, as uh, let me let me check uh, how how often they are mentioned in the in the Talmud. It's really interesting. Um, but this is the Shammai, right? No, no, it's no, not Shammai. Uh, it's Shema, Shemaya, uh, which is interesting Shemaya. because his name is is Shemaya. It's from Shama, they, uh-huh. and Avtalion. Avtalion sounds like a Hebrew Avtalion, the father of the of the youth, uh-huh. but very probable that it's a it's a Greek name, yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe like Talmite, Talmud. Oh, one second, Ptolemy. I want to look in the Talmud. Um, let's see. Let's check Safut Hazal. Issue. Okay. 
Let's see how many times Avtalion appears in the in the in the in rabbinic literature. Okay, he appears fifty nine times, but uh, mostly in the Mishnah. In the Talmud, you have uh, you have him about. Ten times. You're right. It's very rare. Is he, is he in Yerushalmi? Is in Yerushalmi, yes. Uh, Yerushalmi also, let's see, um, also about t- ten times. Uh-huh. So not not so much. Um, so, the, so the interesting thing here, like you said, obviously it's a good point. He's not mentioned that much. <clears throat> Maybe because he let overshadow them. Hillel became the the eminent scholar from right. from that school. Uh, one of the famous stories about Shmaya Avtalion uh, is, I think, it appears in Masechet Yoma. It says that the the Kohen Gadol was leaving the 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 Kodesh Hakodeshim and the Beit Hamikdash after doing the services on Yom Kippur, and everybody was following him. And then Shmaya and Avtalion were coming out of the Beit Midrash, and everybody left the Kohen Gadol. And followed followed them, and the Kohen Gadol got upset, and he said in Aramaic, "Yetun lishlam bnei welcome in peace, descendants of the nations, because they were descendants of converts." Yeah. And they answered, "We welcome in peace the descendants of the nation who follow in the footsteps of Aharon, and not the descendants of Aharon who do not follow in the footsteps of Aharon." So that story tells you about the tension that was between the, the, the priestly rabbis, leadership yeah. and, the, and the rabbis. Right. Um, and it's, in general, it's a contentious period of, of you know, people vying for power between what we have is between the Davidic dynasty. Hillel is from the David dynasty. And he comes back, he comes from Bavel and, and, he, uh, and he becomes the Nasi. <clears throat> and his, his masters were, were um, apparently... In some kind of um, of uh, competition, even though they didn't want that with with the high priest, with the with the rabbin, with the priestly leadership. So he says, you see, because you were lazy, your laziness in not serving Shmaya Naftalion, this what caused you that I will become your nasi. So we can understand it's not really teasing them. He just says you have to learn more. You have to be more with your master. Still not very fitting for uh, for Hillel. So now they ask a question, Amrulo. And here it seems like just a, a, a random question. Mm-hmm. No, okay, now that we've cleared that, let's move to the next question. Amrulo Ribi. Shacha. And since I wrote this translation, I wrote, I drew the, I wrote, I wrote Ribi. That's the way the, the uh, Sephardic Jews pronounce it. <laughs> Ribi and not Rebi or Rabi. Oh, I see. Yeah. We have ancient manuscript where the, there's a Yud after the Resh. Oh, really? Yeah. Ribi. So... They said, okay, so you tell us that you could slaughter the Pesach on Shabbat, but each one has to bring his own knife. That was the custom, right? What if the owner forgot to bring the knife? What do you do? How do you carry the knife right. from Yerushalayim to the temple? Amar la'en, halachazo, shamati veshachati. I heard this halacha, but I forgot. I don't know the halacha, which... <laughs> Again, in one story, you have two instances yeah. of people forgetting halachot that are important. Ela hanach Israel. 
let the people be, let them, let them do what, uh, what they need to do. If they're not prophets, they are the children of prophet. prophets. Uh, and that's a very important statement. I, I, I recently wrote an article in a compilation of references to this phrase mm-hmm. about between 40 and 60 times in, uh, in rabbinic, uh, in, uh, in Shalot Chuvot, yeah, that, uh, and all of them are used to say, you know, we follow more linen minhag, because we trust the people, the people, mm-hmm. and it's an argument for the, uh, you could call it grassroots or the dynamic movement, that people understand the, the halacha and its seed in life better mm-hmm. than the rabbis who are more, you know, in their academic uh, ivory towers, right? Um Daddy, what was he teasing to make a point, or no? No, he, he says really, I don't know really, what to do. The people know. will tell us. Yeah, he says I don't know. The people will tell us. Like yeah. someone, someone would remember. Or, or, or is he saying, I really <clears> know, <throat> but you know, this is something that the people should be oh, able to make this. No, decision. I don't right. Know. From here, you're right. From here, it's still ambiguous. But yeah. From the other story, you'll see that definitely forgot. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but here, it seems like you know it could be that he's just telling them. Let's see, you know, even. Maybe you're suggesting that even the people know, right? right. You don't even need me. The people know right. what to do. Right, exactly. <clears throat> um, which, by the way, in itself is interesting. Why? But now that, you know, you imply that. If, if the people remember to put the knife the way they... What, what happened? Let's see first. Mm-hmm. The next day, one whose Pesach was a lamb stuck it in its wool. One whose Pesach was a goat stuck it between its horns. Okay. So, um, so the, the people remember what to, they knew what to do. Those who had a, a lamb, they, put, they stuck the knife in, in the wool. And those who had a goat stuck the knife somehow between the, the horns. Mm-hmm. But what it tells us is more than just they knew what to do. If they knew what to do, that means that they remembered... That Pesach overrides Shabbat. Right. So if 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 the rabbis would have waited, yeah. okay, let's see what the people do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They all come to the temple. They didn't wait for us to issue the halacha. Right. The, the, like, sorry, the, right. the 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 subliminal message here is is really important. Trying to figure out what 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 is going on with this story. When he saw the action, when he saw the act, Oh, this is what I've heard from my rabbis. So again, now he goes with the tradition. So what we have here is, there's a, let's sum it up. What happened? There's a uh, halakha that was forgotten. They look for an expert. He comes forth. He produces the halakha by means of logical analysis. Kalva homer and gzerashava. And then he, because of this knowledge, because of his analytical ability, he, he is being uh, appointed nasi. He, uh, he puts down b'nei b'terah. He forgets the halacha. Now they rely on the people. The people know what to do. And then when they know what to do, at the end, he says, this is what I've heard from my rabbis. So like at the end, he has to revert to tradition. Well, but that comes only at the end. Right. It basically sort of puts him in his place. So... There's a there's an unknown, and he comes in Hillel and saves the day, yeah. and he sort of puts the leaders in their place, and so he in turn forgets something, and the people put him in his place. Right. So it's just right. It's, it. 
Right. But 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 with all that, <coughs> it seems like you know it so happened that that he forgot the the, uh, the answer, and uh, and then that's when he says sometimes you have to rely on tradition. But if you would ask Hillel in this story mm-hmm. up front, what is the most important element of of halacha? He would say your uh, analytical prowess. If you could analyze the pesukim, what we call midrash, mm-hmm. if you could be doresh halacha, you were able to derive the halacha. And sometimes you have to rely on your shmu'ah, on on uh, on, tra- on tradition. So now let's let's look at the same at the parallel sugya which which predates this one mm-hmm. in Talmud Yerushalmi, and uh, the, a word about the the relationship between the 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 Bavli and the Yerushalmi, right? Um, but nobody, almost nobody, studies the Talmud Yerushalmi. Like the, if they want to tell you that someone is really an amazing scholar, he knows the Yerushalmi. Most people don't study it. They don't teach it in the yeshivot, mm-hmm. and they say it's 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 obfuscated. It's hard to understand. It's it's convoluted. Whatever. There are different different uh, descriptions for what the Yerushalmi. About it. So no, it's not what I think. So what what scholarship thinks about it, and what we, what we know today, is that for many years, for many centuries, there was a competition between uh, the between the yeshivot of Israel and those of Babylonia over the. Uh, the position of power, who controls the, the world, the Jewish world, the world of Torah, right? And uh, it had to do with power, with money, everything. And at a certain point, the, uh, the Babylonian Shiva launched a very uh, aggressive campaign against the Eretz Israeli Shiva. That was in the 7th, 8th century. And uh, they said that the rabbis who, who led it, the one famous uh, scholar, was, his name was Pirkoi ben Bavoy, and he wrote that the Torah of Eretz Israel is Torah Shmad, is Torah that was really? wow. was uh, written or or taught under persecution, and because there's uh, persecution, they don't know they don't know the uh, they were unable to keep the tradition. Um, b- there is um, evidence from the Geniza that before Maimonides wrote his uh, Mishneh Torah. He wrote a book called Piskei Lachot Yerushalmi. He 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 called all the halachot from the Yerushalmi. Uh, we, we also have also from the Geniza a book called Sefer Hilukei Minagim Sheben Bnei Mizrach Bnei Ma'arav. The differences between the people of the East and people of the West. East being Bavel, West Eretz Israel, and there's some interesting things there, like the way they do Shita, the way they would say Kaddish when there are only seven people in the room, and and other things uh, like that. Different different versions of Tefillah. Etc., but eventually this campaign succeeded, and people said, "Okay, the Rushalmi is not reliable. We're not going to study it." And what happened as a result was that it became a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, because when you stop studying a text like that that relies heavily on oral tradition yeah. and on the understanding of lexicography of, of foreign words, if you don't study it from someone who really knows what's written. Then you're bound to not only misunderstand, misunderstand, but misinterpret the the text and even change it when you copy mm-hmm. scribes who copy for the next person to to use the manuscript don't know what's written. So the um, the um, the number the amount of words in Latin and Greek in the Talmud Yerushalmi is about three thousand words. Mm-hmm. A thousand words is enough to have a conversation. So three thousand words that you don't know can imagine how. Uh, how that changes right. the uh, uh, the approach. Also, 
the, the whole approach of Zamud Yerushalmi to understanding the Mishnah is different than that of the Bavli, and that was rejected. So as a result, by, by the 11th, 12th century, really most scholars already um, were, were alienated from the Yerushalmi. So now let's, let's see this, uh, this, halacha, this story here. <clears throat> and I, I didn't uh, translate the whole thing, just uh-huh. the, the highlight, I just uh, put in bold the words that are really important. So, uh, oh, I didn't put it in the screen, sorry. So here's the Yerushalmi. The same thing, they didn't know what to do. Amru, Yeshkan Bavli Ehad Vehilel Shmo. Right? So we have to make, now to compare that to the original text. Oh, man here. All right. Before it was Yeshkan Adam Ehad Shalai Bavel. There's a one man who came up from Bavel. That is a little more dignified than saying Yeshkan Bavli Ehad. There's a certain Babylonian here, right? Right. Okay. Sheshimesh et Shmaya Vehavtalion. Who served Shmariah Aftalion? Also, a difference. Previously, it was written in Magin Bavli, it's Shneig Doleador, the two eminent scholars of the generation. Mm-hmm. They are they are giving this title, but in Yerushalmi, Shmariah Aftalion, those two guys. Okay. Yodea im Pesach dohet a Shabbat im Lav, Efshar sheyeshmi menu toheret. Maybe there's hope from him, right? Right. So. It's not, it's not certain. Right. Maybe we could get something right. from him. They sent and they called him and they said, Now this also I had to put in bold. Look at the, the difference. In the Bavli, in, in, in the first page, Do you know whether Pesach overrides Shabbat or not? In the second, in the Yerushalmi's rendition, Amrulo Shamata Miyamecha what are they asking him? If he, ever heard. if he heard from his masters. Meaning, do you have a tradition? Mm-hmm. Avi? Yeah. Ah, okay, no, I hear your microphone. I, I thought you wanted to join in. Okay. So you see the difference. That, first of all, he's called Babylonian and not a man who came from Babel. Right. right. Shmaya are not called Gedolei Ador. Right. They say, maybe there's hope from him. And when right. they ask him, they say, did you ever hear? Right. Do you have a tradition? Right. So right? they're not asking him the answer. There. Right. Yeah. Amar so he said, yeah, Amar leim, v'chi'en lanu Pesach echad bilvad dohet ha-Shabbat dechol shana v'shana, v'alo kama Pesachim itho et ha-Shabbat bechol shana. The same as we had in the, in the Bavli, more or less, right? It's not only one Pesach, we have many korbanot that override Shabbat. Amru lo... They make him Nasi? Yeah, they, they do, but in a different way. Amru lo, you see it's much longer here. Amru lo, kvar amarnu sheyesh imcha tohelet. Okay, it seems like we were right. There, there is hope from you, right? It healed Doresh Lahen. So he started doing the Drash. Mehekesh, Umikal Vahomer, Umikzera Shava. So here there are three elements. In, in, the, in the Bavli, there were only two. One was Zera Shava, the similar word, Bemoado. And one, the Kal Vahomer, the fortiori of this is not punished Karet, and you still bring it on Shabbat, even more so. Okay. Here he adds another one called Hekesh. What is the Hekesh? Hekesh is a logic, logical uh, comparison. What is the comparison? Oil v'tamid korban tzibur u'fesach korban tzibur matamid korban tzibur dochay Shabbat a'fesach korban tzibur dochay et Shabbat. This is exactly the the problem. This is on 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 the top of page uh, three mm-hmm. out of the four, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
No, no, it's on the back of, of two. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, over there. To the left. Oh, yes. Um, so he says, the daily sacrifice is a public sacrifice, and so is Pesach. So just as the daily sacrifice overrides Shabbat, so should Pesach. But this is exactly the problem. Mm-hmm. Is it public or not? What makes something public? Is it the ownership or the act of uh, uh, simultaneous yeah. sacrificing? So Hila says we all bring it at the same time. Right. But in reality, each one owes it, you know, his own. All the other public sacrifices were owned collectively by the people. And, and they were done by the Kohanim. Were done by the Kohanim as representative, right. right. So, and then and then in the uh, in the um, regular font, I left the Kalva Homer and the Gzerashava, which are the same as the Bavli. But here's the difference. Up until now, we had like minor differences, right? In phrasing and, and one addition, Hekesh. But here, we see a completely different reaction. In What happened in the Bavli when he came with his Drashot? Miyad... Minu Nasi Alim. Immediately they appoint him Nasi, you're the greatest, you're the wisest, etc. Okay. Here, what happens? Amulo, Kvar Amarnu, Im Mi Bavli. Didn't we say that you can't rely on a Babylonian? Mm-hmm. Right? So the commentators ask here, but before they said yes, he said, they said no. Before they were asking, doubting. Maybe, right. maybe. Okay, now they say, say for that. sure, no. What? My dad used to say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the time. Uh, so they say, we know that we couldn't rely on you guys. Why? The logical comparison you made can be rejected. How? Can be refuted. Tamid has a set amount, but the Pesach does not. And I looked at the Mefarshim. Nobody clearly explains what is that idea of Kitzbah or set amount. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a term that appears in many other midrash halacha, but it's not clear what it does with Pesach. I think that what it means is this: Tamid has a, a set time and the number of korbanot that must be brought throughout the year, mm-hmm. right? Um, now Pesach, one year could be a thousand korbanot, and another year ten thousand. Depends on how many people bring it. So their argument might be, even if Pesach must be brought right. on Shabbat, maybe on Pesach that falls on Shabbat, you bring only one to represent the whole nation. The, and you have no proof. Or in other words, they're saying, this is not really a korban tzibu. Yeah. Your whole argument was, it's a korban tzibu, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, now, Kalva Homer, the Kalva Homer was accepted in the Bavli. Mm-hmm. But here they say, the uh, the a fortiori that you argued can be refuted. Why? What was the what was what is a kalva homer? Kalva homer is when you prove that A is weaker than B. So B must be uh, must have all the laws of A as well. But if you prove if how how do you refute it? If say A is weaker than B in one point but stronger in another point. So right. then you say there's no comparison. Right. Those are like apples and oranges, really, because they are two different, two different concepts. So, so they say this, Lo. Im amarta betamit kodashim, tomar befesach kodashim kalim. There's a difference. Tamid is called kodshe kodashim. It's a higher level of holiness. It's totally burnt. It's olat tamid. 
and cannot be taken out of the boundary. It's called mehutz uh, laklaim. Cannot be eaten. Uh, cannot be uh, found outside a certain boundary. Whereas the pesach is called Hashim kalim. Is the light, right? Mm-hmm. I call it the holy light. It's like a diet, uh, diet holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it's called Hashim kalim. It is eaten and it's eaten all over Yerushalayim. So, so what we find here is that pesach is more strict than Tamid on one point, the punishment, but is lesser than Pesach in the level of holiness. So there's no comparison, there's no color of Homer. So they refuted the Hekesh, yes. Oh, just going back to the first one, the Tamid, by being a set amount, makes it public, because it's not variable on the number of people. So sort of based on what you were saying, Right. whereas the Pesach offering is going to... Differ from year to year because it's variable on the number of people. Once it's variable on the number of people, you could argue it's an individual, right, and not a public. Exactly. So that that's 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 what they're they're arguing with him. So now, what about gzera shava? They say gzera shava sheamarta en adam dan gzera shava me'atzmo. So the gzera shava that you argued, one cannot make a gzera shava on his own. And that in itself opens, you know, uh, another box that maybe, I don't know if we can do today, but uh, we'll go back to it. But basically what they're telling him here is you made up this Gzera Shava. It's, it's, this is your, uh, this is your uh, Mahalach, as we call it. This is your uh, uh, process. And you cannot make it up. Why? They say, we, we would have thought that if logic is a valid tool, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you block it? Why do you say, you know, we don't accept this logical analysis? It seems to be valid. Mo'ado, mo'ado, right? It's the same, mm-hmm. it's a time. Um, and there's a long discussion here sh- uh, that we'll skip for now, showing that if you use Gzera Shava, you could do whatever you want. You could, you could, uh, they call it, Oseh Hasheret Metameh Ba'oel, Metameh Metameh Be'Kadasha. You will switch the laws of Tum'at Met, the, the, the purity of uh <clears throat> of a dead body with that of a of a of a dead animal, so you cannot do gzera shava on your own. Fine. What, what is? Can you translate that? What? Gzera shava. So gzera shava is the comparison of two words that appear in two paragraphs. Okay. So that was it says here it says bemoado, mm-hmm. and here it says bemoado. So just as the moado set time that uh, is said about the daily sacrifice means at the set time even on Shabbat, so also the moado of Pesah means at the set time even on Shabbat. And they said, you know, it's very nice, makes sense, but it's your thing. We cannot accept it. You have to have tradition. So already, that now connects to the pre- first question that they presented to him. They said, did you ever hear? In the Bible, they said, do you yeah. know? So right. if you know your own knowledge, fine. But in the Yerushalmi, they say, did you ever hear? So they said, did you hear this? He says, no, it's mine. Says, Sorry, we don't accept it. So I'll skip that. The, what? I thought Gezerot Shavot were um, given to Moshe Bissina. Oh, that's a... Uh, oh, it's the same. We don't make them up. Yes. So uh, that's later here. Uh, they say, En adam dan Gezerah Shava, elaim ken shama merabo. That's what you're referring to. Could only say Gezerah Shava if you heard it from your Rabbi, from your Master. But there is another rule about Gzerah Shava, and that is, You could only say Gzerah Shava if one of the words that you're using 
is uh, uh, superfluous. If it's needed for the for the for the clarity of the text, you cannot use it. One of them has to be uh, redundant, and and some say even more. Since both words, in both ends, have to be redundant. Otherwise, you cannot you cannot do the gzera shava. <coughs> so now the question is: We don't use them for another ruling. What? By redundant, you mean we don't use them for another ruling? They're not. Part of another halacha? Yes, but you don't. You learn nothing from them, except for this gzera shava. So, but, but now the problem is that uh, if you say that you could only say gzera shava if you heard it from the rabbi, right? So your rabbi heard it from his rabbi all the way up to Moshe Rabenu. So why do I need the other rule of you need a redundant? You need redundancy to make the 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 drash. You don't. You don't need that rule. So. The Tosafot, I think, uh, tried to answer this question, saying they, uh, this is only, the second rule is only a yardstick to verify which Gzera Shavah is a tradition and which is not. Like, they had a set number of Gzera Shavah, but they didn't know which is which. Which, is, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to, back to it later. Uh, for, I want to just uh, f- finish up this story, and then we'll go back to it. So, uh, we see the pattern in the Yerushalmi. Hillel is not, a, not held in such high regard, nor his teachers. They speak about the whole you know, Babylonian community in a, in a degrading manner. Uh, and they want, to, they want to have tradition, not drashot. They say, very nice, all your drashot we can refute. Mm-hmm. And the one which we cannot refute has no tradition. Right? We don't even look mm-hmm. for a logical uh, argument to that. So now turn the page, and what we see here is this. And this is like now is a stark difference uh, with the Bavli. Even though he was sitting in Doresh all day long, they did not accept his teachings. This is the opposite of the Bavli. The Bavli said, he said to Drashot, and right away, you're the Nasi, go ahead. Here, no, he's talking all day, he's trying to convince them, they don't, they don't listen to him. Yavo alai. Yavo alai is, a, is, a, is an oath. I swear. Mm-hmm. This is what I've heard from Shmaya Avtalion. And Kevan Shamu can again the word Shama, the, 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 the emphasis is on tradition. Kevan Then they appointed him a Nasi. So all of his abilities in, in analyzing the halakha and making comparison, oh, beautiful, not enough. You have tradition, that's what you hear from your rabbis, we, we respect you, now you're going right. to be the Nasi. Now, his teasing is also different. He started teasing them, why you need to rely on that Babylonian? Right. Right? Yeah, I know that you disrespect us. But why do you have to rely on me? You didn't serve the two scholars. Now he calls them scholars. You have them. They, they sit among you and you didn't listen to them. So now his rebuke makes more sense. It's not just why do you have someone else as your Nasi. You have a Babylonian as your Nasi. Why? Because this Babylonian was wise enough to come and learn from the rabbis of Israel. 
So, in a way, he says, I admit that your Torah is superior. This is the mm-hmm. before the campaign against the Babylon. Right, right. This is like the first century or even before. It says, I, the Babylonian, came and learned from the Israeli scholars, and therefore I'm better than you. And then the 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 the, <coughs> the next paragraph here is Kevan Shekinteram Bidvarim, because he teased them, they asked him, "What about the knife?" So now here it's clear, they didn't just ask a question; they said, "Oh, since you're so smart, mm-hmm. right? If you think that you could tease us, what about the knife?" And then he says, "I don't know," right? Mm-hmm. So that's, but is I think it's shocking, like. Uh, when I was in Yeshiva, we didn't learn the Yerushalmi. I knew this sugya. It's a beautiful story. Here's Hillel. He comes with this power of analysis. They appoint him Nasi, and, and all, is, all is nice and dandy. But then you look at the Yerushalmi, and no, there's a, there's a, there's a, they put up a fight. Mm-hmm. We don't accept it. We want tradition. Until it comes to tradition, they don't. So what's going on here? So this is an example, what we spoke about last week, <coughs> of Hillel being the... Uh, an innovator. Hillel and, and the school of Hillel, even though he re- relies on yeah. tradition, there are many other places where he did not rely on tradition, apparently. Because well, once he becomes a Nasi, how do you know that everything he does uh-huh. is based on tradition? Uh, right? We're also seeing a major difference between uh, um, Yerushalayim and uh, and Bavli, yeah. right? That that mm-hmm. one is saying, "Look, we're on our own. We need to figure this out." Yes. The other is saying, "No, <clears throat> if we don't figure it out. We just have to know what our what our parents did, and if we don't know that, we we're in trouble. We do nothing, right? We do nothing, yeah." So now there's there's an, another interesting story that is not is not here, um, but also has to do with the Bnei Betera just much much later. Those descendants of Betera come back at the time of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, who was at the generation of the destruction. Right. And the story is, um, I'll tell you where exactly it is. Um, the story is that uh, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, it appears in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, uh, Kaftet Bet, page 29, uh, Amud bet, and what happens here is this: Pam hat hal rosh hashanah liot beShabbat. That's after the destruction. Again, a Shabbat problem, but this is not about forgetfulness. It's the first rosh hashanah after the destruction. Rosh hashanah is on Shabbat, and the question is, should we blow the shofar or not? And here's the question: is different. The question is different because <coughs> there's no tradition. There's a new reality. Uh, what Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai is trying to show is that the center of power has moved from Yerushalayim and is now in Yavne, so which is now the seat of the Bedin. So here, this is Amar leim Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai livnei betera nitka or nitka amulo nadun. So Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, who is a descent, who is not of the Davidic dynasty, is not a descendant of Hillel. He's an outsider that was brought in by the Romans because they didn't want someone from the Davidic dynasty who could claim, you know, to be the, the next leader. Right. So he's the sort of an outsider. Uh, it tells the Bnei Betera that for some reason are now again in, in the seat of power. He says, let us blow the shofar. Because now everybody's like, we are the center. 
They say, "Lo nadun." Let us discuss it, right? So there's no tradition. So let's let's see if we could argue in favor of of the shofar. Amar lehem nitka vehakach nadun. He says, "No, let us blow the shofar. Everybody's here. Everybody's waiting. Let's blow the shofar and then let's discuss it. And then we'll issue a verdict whether you know it will be so for years to come." So now they blew the shofar, everybody goes home. They did blow it. The and they did time. blow it, good, right? They, good, he convinced good, them good, to do it, good, right? Good. They took action. They said, okay, let's, let's discuss now. Hmm. We already blew the shofar, everybody heard it. You can't, you can't turn the wheel back once right, it was right, done. It was a man of action, right? right? I cre- he created a tradition. Right. Very interesting because with Hillel here we say the maase is extremely important. If you know that something was done, but in 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 future generation, right, even that was undermined because they say uh, they 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 turn it over. They would ask when someone said, "I saw my rabbi doing this and that." They say maase ra'ita o halacha shamata. Did you see him doing it only, or did you hear from him? It's a law. What's the difference? Because maybe if you did it, there was a special reason that you're not aware of. So, in a way, this whole thing was turned around. We don't care about what, what, what people did, now. did in reality, right? And that carries on all the way to today. For example, when the Hazonish came up with the idea that the, the, uh, the volumes of, of, uh, for drinking wine or washing hands are double or triple what they were in the past, some people asked him, but wait a second. If you say that this is the right measure of Revi'it, is like, you know, uh, you know, half a gallon, whatever. Uh, it's a, one, like a quart almost, uh, right? How come we don't have Kiddush cups from the, from, from the medieval times till today that with, that, with right. that volume? Or, 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 uh, or uh, washing uh, vessels? He says, we don't care about that. Like, reality is not a proof. Reality mm-hmm. of what people did is not a proof. Halakha is, halakha reigns supreme. So that is, that is this story that I wanted to share that shows what Hillel was doing. Hillel was introducing halakha that is based on logic. And, you know, of course, in, in yeah. the Orthodox community, we, people argue that everything was halakha le Moshe Misina, right, but we right. see that it's not. Right. There's, a, there's a different version between the Yerushalmi and the Bavli. Right. The Bavli actually argues more for the ability to use the Midot and, and do whatever you want. So just in, 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 in uh, you know, briefly, I'll touch about what happens with the Kalva Homer, uh, with the Gzera Shava. This is a, uh, like one, another one of the, the, the issues that my professor Gilat from Barilan worked on, on the Midot. And his theory about the Gzera Shava is as follows. His Gzera Shava originally was a purely logical tool. And the, it, was, it, it was not based on similar words. Because there's, there are similar words all over the... T- but rather, a word that stands for a concept. So when, when Hillel says, it says, Bemo'ado here, Bemo'ado here, it doesn't mean that we are going to, to compare the laws because we have the same, hala, the same word. word. Rather, he says, what is the concept of a Mo'ado? Mo'ado means set time that cannot, would not change. So if the Torah, and it makes a lot of sense, if the Torah says, you must bring the Tamid on the set time, which is morning and evening every day, mm-hmm. that includes Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Therefore, take it to Pesach. The Torah says Pesach comes on the 14th. Right. Make sure it's sacrificed on the set time. Right. Every year, 
on the 14th, Shabbat right. or not Shabbat. Right. So he's right. right. What happened was that over time, people started using halach, the Gzera Shabbat freely and going to places that where you cannot go. Because, like, they say, oh, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShamayim. It says Shamayim here, right? Mm-hmm. And another place says Shamayim. Then, then you can make a mishmash out of the yeah. whole Torah. So the rabbis made the first limiting, uh, the first restriction, which is, you, the word has to be redundant in one, uh, uh, at least in one or even two places. Redundant so, meaning? Meaning that it's not necessary for the actual okay. text, so you could use it for the drash. Uh, but even that was abused. So then they came with a, with a new restriction saying you could only say if you heard it from your rabbi. And now it makes sense because it didn't start, Avi, that's what you asked before, if it comes all the way from Sinai. <clears throat> if it would have come all the way from Sinai, all the other restrictions don't make sense. But it, somewhere around the first century they said you, have, you could only use it if you have a reason uh, the the superfluous word is your anchor in the text. There's a problem in the text that that calls for attention. Why do we have this word here? Then okay, let's use this for drasha. And then about a hundred, maybe a hundred years later, they said no. That's that's it. No more, no more nukzerot unless you heard it from your rabbi. Um, and maybe maybe it, it already at the time of Hillel, this restriction was put. Uh, because they already tell him, you cannot do your own unless your rabbi did it. This is before the destruction, though. Before the destruction. So what happened was that up to a certain point, they allowed the free use of this and then they had to limit it uh, in two two stages. But what it tells us is that uh, probably a lot of what we find in Midrash Halacha in terms of the interpretation of the text and the conclusion that is derived from the text, we cannot easily argue that they are all tradition or Allah Chalem Moshe Messinai. First of all, the difference between the two stories, the difference itself, and the tension between the two, where like the Kabbalah is trying to hide something. The Kabbalah plays a lot with the Midrash Allah. So the Kabbalah is like saying, we cannot, we cannot let you know what is written in the in the Yerushalmi, because the Yerushalmi says that you you, you have to you have to have tradition. So uh, this is this is what we we, we see from this uh, from this discussion. The, isn't the probably less con- approach less conservative? It is less conservative, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, so. By by hiding tradition, right. it is less conservative because right. it could it could it, it, could it has yeah. 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 So, but it's interesting that now it's come the other way. You need the tradition. Yeah. That, you know, that the... That's exactly what the, happened, sure. So the Babli became preeminent over the... the Yerushalmi, right. But the takeaway, at least, in the comparison here, has gone the other way. Right. So what what happened with the, with the Babli over time is the Babli became canonized. But it was not canonized by the Geonim. It was canonized by by Rambam and, and, and his generation, like in the 11th century, oh, really? 12th century. The Goanim still had, a, you know, sort of a free hand with the Talmud, <coughs> both in arguing with the Talmud and in rewriting certain versions, like this is the right version, that is the right version. And that went on even, you know, parallel to Rambam, Rabbeinu Hananel, the Rifte, uh, but a little before Rambam, who still had this uh, this authority or, or that strength of uh, arguing with the Talmud. 
But Rambam put a lid on it. Partly because, I would say, not as much because he wanted to solidify the authority of the Talmud, because he wanted to solidify his own authority. So he had to create a system where, at a certain point, that's it. You cannot, you cannot question the sages of the previous generation, in this case, the Talmud. So in a sense, he's the father of Orthodox Judaism. <clears throat> in a sense, you could say that. He's definitely the father of dogmatic uh, Judaism, because the, there was no... When he created the dogma uh-huh. in Judaism, in terms of philosophy right. and, and, and Jewish thought, and is very much uh, also affected halakha, because if you go... Um, in the, what he did, really, a great gift that he gave to the yeshiva world is to let them try and reconcile his writing with the Talmud. Yeah. The, the whole, without Rambam, there would be no yeshivot, because they studied the Talmud, and okay, they grow tired of it. Right. But the Rambam constantly sort of contradicts the Talmud, and they try to reconcile it. Interesting. Instead of understanding the Rambam, as much as he gave authority yeah. to the Talmud, reconcile he, it? to le Ken. The, uh, the Rambam really created his own shita, his own way. Uh, I mean, when he needed the Babli, he relied on it. And when he wanted to rule differently, he did it also. So, but that is just, uh, we sort of like looking at the, the structure of Midrash Halakha, and this is one of the telling stories of where Midrash Halakha really stands. Um, so, so, when was uh, the restriction on blowing the shofar on... on uh, uh, on, you know, Rosh Hashanah when it f- falls on Shabbos uh, instituted? It comes, I mean, it, 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 the Mishnah already says that you cannot uh, carry the Shofar on Shabbat, and, uh, um, but the Mishnah, um, the Mishnah is in, from the 3rd century. By that time, the, uh, uh, the, they would only blow the Shofar when there is a Bedin. Um, the argument that you can that you can't blow the shofar is really because you might carry it. Was over uh, they they were able to bypass it Eretz Israel by chaining the shofar to the teva, because you know it's really not a, not a problem. Uh, and and up until the time of Rabbi Tzach Al Fasi in the tenth century, in his beddin they would blow the shofar on Shabbat in North Africa. Um, I did a, I did a I did a paper on that from my from another professor Meir Barilan about the tkiat shofar and um, so the the problem really is about blowing shofar on Shabbat. It's not it's not because the blowing of shofar is a transgression of Shabbat, but rather because shofar was seen as something that is done only in the temple. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's why, why we see that it. tension. After the destruction, Rabban Yohan ben Zakkai says, we blow the shofar even in Yavne, and they say, no, you don't blow it in Yavne, because you don't have, it's only done at, at, at the temple. That's where, where the shofar uh, is blown. So um, Now the times of the temple, was it only blown at the sh- temple? Only the temple. Nowhere else, it, even it, when they had it, synagogues at that time. Yes. Now, the, the irony of what happens today is that we have two days of Rosh Hashanah. That's not irony. Painful. Yeah, the the pain, right? The, the the big problem is that we know in terms of the calendar that the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Aleph Tishrei, uh-huh. and the second one is Bet Tishrei. Right. So when, if you want to say really which day is Rosh Hashanah, it's Aleph Tishrei. Uh-huh. But if Shabbat falls on Aleph Tishrei, 
Right. 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 We don't blow the shofar then, right. we blow it on the second day, mm-hmm. which is really, uh, there's something that has to be restored. Um, and we'll see how we can do that. Yes, and that's, that's, that's of course, the big question because we have uh, the Talmud being canonized. Yeah. Uh, not the Sanhedrin. No. And no, it's a, it's a much, much later development. Right, and so <coughs> why can't we reopen it? Is it true that for the Shomonim, the for the begin like Kosher Shana for them it's in uh, Passover? No, no, no. The difference is that they bring Korban Pesach on Pesach, real Korban. Right, but they saying also that the ah that that the uh, oh the beginning of the year, of the year not Kosher Shana, yes. yeah. It's it's supposed to be. On That's a different Nisan story. One. That's already a different story. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, our our Nisan. calendar is very much influenced by 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 our. Uh, the time we spend in Babylonia, in in the Galut, um, but you know, your question is a uh, is a serious one in halacha today. I, uh, yeah, it's it's the question is if what was the what was the uh, what was the objective of the rabbis when they created the Gzerot? and if we understand that their objective was to preserve halacha, then. Uh, then, then you have, uh, then it branches out into two camps. You can say mainly two camps. One camp says there is a there is this abstract entity called called halacha or Torah that must be observed, and it, it doesn't matter how many people observe it, even if it's ten percent or five or even one percent of the Jewish people. Maybe even one person is enough, because that is like sort of a mystical, mythical uh, thing that makes the world exist. So everything that the rabbis added must be observed because that's that's the 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 perfect Torah as God wants it. That's one way to see it. If you see it that way, you can never change Gzera because it's that's it. It's etched for stone for generations. On the other hand, you could look at it this way: the rabbis made the decrees in order to make sure that the people will observe the Torah. So the ideal would be to have as many people as possible observe the Torah. So if that is the case the rabbis would come back to life today, they would freak out. Because they say, what, what, what happened to Judaism? Right. We have 15% of the, people, of, of the nation observe the Torah. Right. So they would have sat down. When was it higher? When was it higher? How many times, how That's many a, times and for how long was it higher? It's a good question. Uh, in, the fir- in the time of the first temple, probably not so good. Right. Um, but that's pro- pre-Rabbinic Judaism. In the time of the of the second temple, maybe a little more. In uh, in the two thousand years that we were in exile, up until the seventeenth century, you could say maybe fifty percent, sixty percent, or even more were, were observant. But now everything you know is really falling apart in that sense, um, in terms of, uh, of what people see as the tr- traditional uh, tenets of halacha, like kashrut, shabbat, etc. <coughs> If we look also at the Ben Adam Lechavero, the Jews are doing pretty good, uh, being hopefully you know civilized and uh, law-abiding, etc. But in the the traditional way of seeing like the observance of Shabbat and all that, where where is that? So the question is, uh, the rabbis made a decree of not uh, you know of waiting six hours between, let's say, uh, not the rabbis really, it's later in the Talmud. Um, but what if uh, what if you eased some of the gzerot, let's say Yom Tov Shini, right? Second Yom Tov, right. right? Would it make some people observe, more people observe Yom Tov? Maybe. 
Yeah. Or Rosh Hashanah, maybe they would. Make. So that, that's the uh, that's the big debate. Most most rabbis in the Orthodox community, you know, this world would argue that you cannot reassess or reevaluate any of the decrees of the rabbis. Uh, Sad. I know one rabbi would disagree. Well, at least one rabbi would disagree. <laughs> Probably there are more. Okay, let's. Uh, rabbi, rabbi, can I just? I'm having a logical. Um, yes. Rambam is the one who sort of said, "Look, we we we've got to set these laws and just stick with them and not not keep adjusting and changing and, and updating." And but he based it on the Talmud Bavli. In other words, he wasn't a big fan of the Rishon. And if I understood you correctly, the Talmud Bavli is the one that said, or you know, the way Hillel presents it, is, is Bavli is the community that said that. You can derive laws. The whole goal of this is to be able to use things like Kalvachom and Zereshava and other tools to be able to derive laws, whether you've learned them from your teacher or not, which would lead you to say you can continue to derive laws. Right. So why is it the Rambam is viewed as, you know, sort of the, the point at which we have stopped feeling empowered to derive new laws or to change laws? And to basically say that anything that the, the rabbi is set is, you know, set in stone, it's never going to be changed. No, but well, the, the, Rambam, the Rambam does say that. He, he says that uh, um, that you cannot change anything that was written in the Talmud. It says the Geonim may be, right? It says the Geonim uh, uh, can do that. Mm-hmm. The Geonim can argue that. And he, and he, and he puts himself and other... Uh, you know, c- contemporaries at the level of Geonim, that's if you look at this Akdama, the, 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 the way he changes the definition of Geonim to include himself as well, so we could argue with them, but they are the last Geonim, that's it, from now on, you cannot argue. So, Rambam really, like I said, put the lid on it. That, that is exactly what he created, he created that, that system which says that we cannot uh, we cannot argue with it anymore, and um, there are a lot of a lot of scholars today who are followers of Maimonides. And now, uh, of course, you know the the Brist school, Soloveitchik, uh, Rabbi uh, Jose Faul, also the same thing, who are very strictly Maimonidian and say that you cannot uh, you cannot uh, question any of the Gezerot of the of, of Hachamim. Uh, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, no, um, I'm. He's uh, his em- his emphasis, his focus of Rabbi Yosef is on Shohan Aruch. He took he took as his uh, champion the Shohan Aruch, and he says we all follow the Shohan Aruch, uh, even though the Shohan Aruch is an open ended book. But you know he he interprets as he, as he wishes. It's another issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll, we'll 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 have to go maybe through the introduction of Maimonides and to see exactly what what he says there. It's an interesting. Uh, is it? He's a, he's a smart, right. right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Thank you for the smart. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.